Welcome to the TTPOA podcast, a podcast for SWAT officers, military, and all first responders. We'll be talking training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts around. Here are your hosts, Derek and Brandon. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the TTPOA podcast, season two, episode four, man. We're doing these back to back to back to back here at the conference this year. Hey, again, this episode is brought to you by Triarch Systems, man. Check them out at triarchsystems.com. Providing tailored solutions for professional end users to keep up, or I'm sorry, to keep pushing forward. Oh, yeah, yeah. Triarch. And if you have not tried a Tri-11. Have you tried it yet? I have tried a Tri-11. Not bad. Smooth. I like that. outside my price range, but but, but nice guns. Man. Chris, hook us up, man. Although he said he doesn't even have one. That's I funny. think that's a lie. I think so. I think that's a lie. Calling our sponsor a liar. I am not. Well, you just did. I did. Yeah, okay, I'll did. have to edit that out. Yeah, I won't do that. I'm sure he has plenty of try 11s Yeah, I'm so, sure, man. Man, I'm kind of excited to have uh, our next guest on. Uh, I'm going to fuck his name up too. I am not going to fuck his name up because okay. he has an easy name like Sean. <laughs> that's an easy name, Sean. All right, so uh, I met Sean probably two years ago uh, on some outside instructing, uh, teaching that I do. Um, met him, squared away dude. We clicked right off the bat. Uh, right off the bat, like the first night, we hung out. We started talking tactics uh, and how we make injuries. And, and next thing I know, we're, we're, we're kind of drinking, having some beers, and we're, we're clearing the... <laughs> We're clearing the house that we're uh, that we're sharing and uh, going over. Well, why do you do this? Well, why do you do this? Well, I do it this way. Well, why do why? And of course, we banter back and forth all night on this stuff. And and again, um, you know, he'll call me throughout the you know random times. And hey, man, I have a question for you. Have you heard of this or why are guys doing uh, this? And we'll kind of banter back and forth. But so y'all cuddled afterwards and everything was good. Yeah, yeah. And the, and and the, and the weird thing is, I was a little spoon. That's good. Yeah. Because that's a very uh, intimate place where y'all were training. You can you could go out and get in a little village. and Yeah, it was out in the middle of the desert. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, not a lot of people out there. <laughs> like 40 dudes. Romantic. <laughs> Romantic starlight. Stars and moon. <laughs> All right. So enough of this. Uh, so we're sitting down with Sean Coldiron of, Cold, of Ironclad Solutions. Concept, Concept Solutions. Yep. There you yep. go. See, I fucked it up. <laughs> I fucked it up, man. I fucked it up. Sean. How you doing? Awesome. Grateful to be here. Thank you. Man, thank you for actually coming and giving us time to come up here and, uh, and talk with us. And thanks for coming to the conference, man, because you are yeah. teaching a block of instruction. Uh, yes, I am. I'm super excited to do that. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How and don't miss anything. And don't, lay, and, and, and don't miss anything. Okay. Um, I'm a 21-year veteran of the United States Border Patrol. I uh, retired in 2019. I spent my entire career in Tucson, Arizona, um, entered in service in 1998. I was actually on terminal leave from the, from the army when I went to the academy and mm-hmm. then went to selection in 2000 and stayed with, uh, the border patrol tactical unit, BORTAC until 2015. And then I left in 15 and got promoted up to staff. So let's and, talk about BORTAC a little bit for the guys that don't know, uh, kind of, What's the summary of, of uh, BORTAC? Um, the Border Patrol Tactical Unit was actually created in 1984. Um, if you go back and look at the historical perspective of it, it was why they were created was because of the uprising with the Cubans, uh, the refugees, and the prison systems. So um, they created BORTAC. Um, the first, I think, if my memory serves me correct, I think eight classes the first eight classes were run by the Marshall SOG unit. 
um, until we got our, our baseline of operators and that established a unit. Um, and then, uh, every year, I, I think for the first few years, it was like, there was two selection courses per year. Um, now it's down to, uh, just one a year, only 75 applicants, uh, nationwide are allowed are invited. And at the most I've seen graduates, maybe 23. Okay. Um, so pretty, uh, pretty tough selection process, huh? It is. And it's, and it's, you know, um, it varies. It's, it's, it's gone from like when I went through, it was like, uh, the Ranger indoctrination program, rip, rasp, whatever it is now, um, where it was just a four week kick in the nuts. Um, <laughs> and just don't quit, just survive it. Um, to where it's at now, it's modeled after, let's see, a little bit of HRT, a little bit of SFAS, uh, a little bit of RASP. Um, it's got elements of everything. Mm. Um, it's it's evolved since about 2008 as we started to professionalize the organization. Yeah. We started wanting problem solvers instead of just studs. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a nationwide thing now. Guys are looking for those problem solvers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, your background before you got into... Uh, Bortac, Border Patrol. Uh, served six years in the Army. Um, the majority of that was with the 75th Ranger Regiment. I was with 2nd Battalion in Fort Lewis, Washington from 92 to 96. Uh, left, I ETS'd, and then I served uh, in a National Guard active duty for about a year and a half before I got hired with the Border Patrol. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's your background. Now, uh, some of the operational tempo that you were, that you and I have discussed over the, uh, over the years of what you guys are doing in, uh, at Bortac. Holy shit, man. It was out of control. You guys are doing some shit that like, I never would have thought of, uh, you know, like you're talking about finding the, um, the landing strips out in the middle of the desert and drilling holes and putting explosives in them and, and blowing up the, uh, the runways <laughs> and shit and like tracking these smugglers <laughs> through, uh, through the mountains, you oh, know, awesome. uh, down the border. And I'm like, holy shit, this is some crazy stuff, man. Uh, the cratering stuff was conceptually a lot of testing. Was fun. <laughs> oh, okay. So things that you might, might do. We might have to edit that out now. Man. <laughs> um, no, we, uh, uh, quite honestly, um, I was fortunate in my career. Um, when we first started, when I first got on the team in 2000, we were primarily just a dope hunting crew mm-hmm. and serve warrants. That was pretty much it. And then by 2005, the violence was escalating exponentially in Arizona. We became basically the epicenter for the, for the United States border patrol and for DHS. You know, I was there during the transition from INS post nine 11. Um, so after nine 11, a lot of money, a lot of focus was put into us. And Tucson was the center of gravity for a lot of years. And from about 2005 to 2000, and, you know, when I left in 15, we were at a full sprint. Uh, just how much our capabilities increased mm-hmm. and how we evolved as a unit and our tactics constantly evolved because our, our, our threat was always evolving. Um, so it was, I was fortunate to be surrounded by a, ton of great dudes um but uh we also brought in some some heavy hitters to help us out mike panone mm-hmm. um on one of his, on his podcast brought it up mm-hmm. yeah. uh, where he yeah. got his start was we contracted him for a year to come in to our unit in tucson and work with us every day <laughs> that's a good guy to, he, he gave you a lot of just knowledge man that, that, that dude's 
he knows his shit. Yeah, he he's probably forgotten more than I will ever know. Yeah, right. And, and you're like, how no shit? Like, you're, I know that I know what you're talking about, but you're explaining it at a different level that I don't even conceptualize. That I'm like, damn man, you just feel dumb sometimes. Absolutely, I can I can give an example. We were doing uh, vehicle interdictions a week long deal with that, and by day three, you know, a type personalities were all in there arguing over stuff. Yeah. And Mike's sitting in the background and finally he just, he goes, Hey fellas, stop. He goes, you're arguing about apples and oranges. All this is going to be situational dependent. None thing, none of what you are doing is violating any principles. Yeah. So why are you sitting here arguing about whether this should be the point of domination or that should be the point of domination? Right. And that's when it clicked for us, you know, like being conceptual versus being so locked into a system, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, so, and you know, the rest is history. No, I, I, th- I think I, that's what I do appreciate, but good trainers and understanding that there's situations and Hey, here's the template, but there's also room to move around to play that pickup basketball type mentality and, and, and understand, Hey, these, as long as you're getting these angles, as long as you're getting, um, these certain fundamentals, that's the, that's the key, you know, uh, on, on, on that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was a, that was a, that that, that was, that was just a, a great, just everybody probably benefit from that, having that much just training and knowledge being poured into y'all. Well, Mike brought in the, the Eunice philosophy Mm -hmm. on training and developing your personnel and how we looked at things, how we problem solved. Yeah. And, you know, because of that is uh, I get some blank stares sometimes when I talk about operational playbooks. Uh, That's something that we started to implement around 2008, 2009 um, with just take something as simple, a simple task like a vehicle interdiction. Well, there's so many different models of vehicles. So we started sending our guys out because of Mike. Um to go do research on different platforms, mm. uh, different models. Um, what are the nuances? What are the friction points that we can encounter? And it goes into a book that sits in our talk. Mm. Same with doing uh, tubular assaults like um, buses. Our mm. buses were all caged, so they already had their inherent problems. But each model had different on how to shut down the power, how to shut the engine down, how are you going to immobilize it? So we would add that to our operational playbook and as we found different things and different ways to attack stuff that went into the operational playbook and we would have never thought of that had it not been for Mike and what he did for us so what's a what's a what's a good day look like in Bortac operationally it so I have to I have to explain it this way each region is different so you have San Diego's got a completely different operational environment than we do in Tucson so, okay, um, first off, who has Bortac in their city? Is it San Diego, Tucson, El Paso? There's there's eight regional teams on the southwest border and six on the northern border. Oh, okay. Um, the bigger teams are on the southwest border, but it also depends on the number of personnel you have in each sector. Our sector is a really big sector. So uh, during our heyday, we had, I think, almost 5,000 agents just in Tucson sector. Um, but our unit, even with 5,000 agents, we only had at our peak 40 operators, tactical operators, not in, including support In Bortac, staff. out of the 5,000. Right, and Tucson. Oh, wow. So could you put it in for Bortac, like 
is it just for the Tucson sector? So I'd be assigned to Tucson to put in for the BORTAC openings in your sector. So right now we have it's when you apply, put in, it's going to be for your sector. But after a year at, or after you pass probation within the regional unit, you can apply for the national, the, our special operations group component. Um, those guys do a lot more Oconus stuff and they will do missions from time to time. Um, CONUS um, in support of other sectors um, with their teams, or they'll do some of their own unilateral missions uh, based on DHS directives. Gotcha. All right. So what's a good day in Bortac, man? Like what, I mean, you guys are operationally, your tempo's high. It, it was high. It's, it's starting to slow down just because of the, just the environment, the, the culture. Environment, yeah. Right. Um, so 2000, let's say 2009 to 2013, we were averaging anywhere from 160 to 180 operations a year, but we are operational three minimum 300 days per year. Yeah. Cause your operations, I mean, you guys are doing like, you guys are scouting the friggin' desert. You guys are tracking, Correct. you guys are doing all this stuff that like, we're like, Oh shit, man. So something that's unique. It's hot. There. About it, is hot. <laughs> it is. It's miserable. Yeah. And you got so, kitted up and you're like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Um, you know what you'd sweat? Shit, dude. You'd be, bro, you'd be a skinny. I'm a physical beast. <laughs> you are. <laughs> physical beast. <laughs> it's, it's something. Physical beast. Yeah. Yeah. Those, uh, those mountains will make a man out of you in 115 degree heat. Yeah. I'll just crumble and cry. Sean, you know this. I'd pick <laughs> it up and throw it. You know this. I just cry. Yeah. <laughs> just cry. Um, going back to your question, what does a typical day look like? Um, we typically have ongoing operations, interdiction operations. We, we were typically hunting certain dudes, um, whether it was what we called the rip crews. We labeled them that uh, guys that were going out and ripping off dope um, for money. Um, or they were, we had a huge counterintelligence network in the what, what we call the West Desert. So we have a large um, Indian nation there, uh, Native American nation, the Tonal Odom nation there. And within that that nation, which borders all the way up to the border, we had a big smuggling problem there in terms of um, the land is pretty flat with um, a series of mountain ranges that can cover almost pretty much the entire terrain. And so they can watch the movements of all yeah. law enforcement. So we would hunt those guys as well. We would plan operations for that. So, and those operations could last anywhere from six weeks to six months that we're tasking a team to always develop the situation and go conduct interdiction missions. Uh, in between that, we're also serving warrants in support of all the federal agencies. We had a great relationship with Tucson Police Department and their SWAT team, mm -hmm. so we would support them on a lot of stuff. We supported them with the Hells Angels takedown and a few other large-scale takedowns. Um, so... It was a challenge, especially as a key leader, because I would walk in at five in the morning for PT and have an idea what we're going to do for the day. And my operations shop would drop something new in your lap and say, this is time sensitive and we have to act. Um, and so, especially with some of our stuff in the West Desert, we had to, those were time sensitive and they were trigger operations. So we may have been with technology and our ISR platforms working on our targeting piece. And then we, has, we, 
we try to seize a window of opportunity. And so we'd have a trigger, say, hey, look, this, this site is active right now. So we'd start coordinating for our air platforms. To, uh, we, we always had an emergency bird that had fast ropes already rigged up. So how fast from, from Warno to load up and, and wheels up would it be? Um, and then we'd plan just like that within an hour and launch teams. So you went from operational to you kind of made your like your way up that up that ladder, right? Now how high did you make it? Within our unit, I was um, the regional unit. I was our deputy commander, number two IC. How was that change? Uh, that was a challenge for me because I had spent I'd been a team leader since '04, and I was a, I became a senior team leader by '07, and so I was really in tune with the guys, mm-hmm. and then when I was uh, pegged for the number two. I was excited, but I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> it's like herding cats, oh, and yeah. dealing with a bunch of A-type personalities, <laughs> being accused of drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and, and I'll be honest, I've never seen you drink Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen you no. take a sip of Kool-Aid. <laughs> it's like the furthest thing from Kool-Aid. Yeah, exactly. So As he drinks his whiskey. Yeah. yeah as I drink my whiskey. <laughs> but uh, it was... It was challenging because it was also the time we began to sprint. Our capabilities increased, you know, twofold. Um, now by 08, we were running 100% operations under night vision, which was rare for law enforcement at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's rare now. I think in 07, and some internet guru wants to check it out, but I know we got into a shooting under night vision goggles in 07 and we think it was a very first law enforcement shoot oh, wow. under nods. So mm-hmm. with IR lasers, um, we won that one. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, but it was under my tenure as a number two that where we lost Brian, where we had that, mm-hmm. that operation where we lost Brian. So for the guys that don't know about that, we're talking about fast and furious, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. You want to keep, you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this crew, we were hunting a rip crew. Um, these guys were, uh, they definitely had our respect. We had been, had our eyes on them for about a year. Now these guys are going around ripping who? Ripping dopers. Yeah. Off. So these, yeah. These, these guys are ripping the smugglers. But yeah. So what pegged us or perked our, interest in these guys and had us a little nervous about it was they never infilled or exfilled on the same route. And every, with our technology that we had, our cameras that we had, when we did get pictures of them, they were always three to five meters apart and never had their guns slung. So some of these dudes out there, they're just cowboys and they'll mm-hmm. have their, their rifles slung on them. The AKs will be rusted, you know, bad shape, but, these guys, how they carried their gear, how they dressed, and how they patrolled was top-notch. Hmm. So, which indicated that possibly these dudes had training. So, we, but we could never peg them into a, a target area because a lot of these guys, we were able to isolate them and exploit their routes and go, okay, this is where we can set up and this is where we're going to have a high probability of success without getting into a gunfight. So these guys, you know, we hunted them for about, it's about four months, five months. And we finally boxed them into one region. It's really austere. It's really remote, but we got them on one route. 
consistently. It wasn't just like a couple times. It was like over a course of three months, they were, we had them on this one route. So we sent a team out to hit them, um, to interdict them. And we did, we ran into them, but they didn't have their guns. So, which was common during that time because these guys knew that we were, we were hunting them when they came off the highways or the main supply routes with their guns. If we caught them with their guns, they're going away to prison for a long time. If we catch them without anything, then they're maybe doing a month. So they do the rip with the guns and then ditch the guns on Xville. Right. So it's just, just the, the slight chance that you guys do come across them. Correct. Okay. Correct. So they had changed their TTPs and not bringing their guns and their supplies with them. They had cash points established everywhere. So this crew, when we did run into them the first time, they did not have their guns. And we also realized that, that terrain where we hit them was not going to work for us. Um, because if you let the point man continue too far, you're going to get flanked. So, excuse me. So we reset and we wanted to develop the situation a little bit more. But unfortunately, you have to understand the dynamics in that time. We'd already had a handful of agents ambushed by these guys. Um, so it was a real threat to everybody, mm-hmm. not just the dopers. Because these guys were shoot first, ask questions later. And a lot of times they were dressed as police. Damn. So it, it created a real dynamic for us. Um, so while we were resetting, the camera picked up these guys again, fully armed. I don't know how the pictures got leaked, but the pictures got leaked. Our senior command knew about them, but it got leaked. Mm. And then within our own organization, you know, guys kind of spiraled out of control. So there's a lot of political pressure on my boss about, hey, we have to do something about this. And in those certain terms, we weren't ordered, but we were pressured to go back into that same place, which violated our own principles, and to execute that operation. So, And it didn't happen right away. So I don't care who you are, um, how much training you have. When you're taking a four-man assault team plus a two-man sniper team, and you're putting them out for 72 hours or more. Oh, yeah. At a time, and in the mountains during the winter, this is December, um, November, December, um, it gets in the teens, sometimes single digits in that in that region. So you're not getting any sleep, and plus you got the weather, you know, the inclement weather you're dealing with, the environment. And then we also had a plan that we had to leave in place. So this was going on for seven weeks that these guys oh, are going wow. in, just replacing team after team after team. Um, Brian wasn't even part of that team that mm-hmm. was supposed to go in. That was a composite team. It was two guys from our SOG unit, new guys. Um, Willie, who is an ATL, um, and then Brian, who's filling in a slot for one of our senior guys. Um, and just it's just one of those deals of just a whole bunch of things start to start in motion. Yeah. You know, it was the bullet that killed Brian. But it was, there's a whole bunch of other decisions that were made that put us in that position for that to happen. Um, so when the night of the shooting on December 14th, um, those guys were on their day number three and were getting ready to exfil. They were sitting on their rucks when our early warning devices went off. And Willie, the ATL, had slipped down 
looked with this thermal device, saw the five dudes, all guns at port arms, walking up the trail. So he just called for a hasty. Um, and this is, I've talked about this before. This is where we kind of get into like uh, common criminal templates mm-hmm. um, is they did not follow our brief plan um, and what the concept was. Um, they went with what they knew and they, they jumped it. Like they just worked for 99% of the guys never expecting these dudes to stand their ground and fight. And that's what happened, you know, and they had let the point man get too deep. And so as he was running, trying to break contact, he let off a six round burst. And one of those rounds, what caught Brian. So we talked about this before, um, out in New Mexico where we, you know, where we do some stuff together. Um, as a leader, because you were a leader then, mm-hmm. right? How did you deal with that with your teams, with your guys? How did you handle all the emotions? Because there's a lot of emotions pouring in. Correct. So after when that happened, we weren't we went on the hunt because there was three dudes in the wind, or actually five guys in the wind. One that we had put down in the dirt, um, who was wounded. But uh so we went on we were on the hunt. So we spent the next 48 hours continuous, no sleep hunting those guys. Um, we had ISR platforms up. We had, um, I had two teams on helos and everybody and their mother came to help us out. We had ATF there, DEA, uh, FBI was there helping us, um, their SWAT team. Um, but, uh, so I wasn't thinking much about that other than a task at hand. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's things that you don't think about too, you know, cause we had to carry Brian out. And so I'm, I'm meeting with the guys that helped carry Brian out. And I'm looking at one of the guys, Chad, and he's covered with Brian's blood. And I look around and half my guys are covered in Brian's blood, but they're wanting to get back into the fight. Yeah. But they hadn't realized that they were covered in Brian's blood. So I'm sitting there staring at it, and I don't know why I made the call. I don't even know why it caught my attention, but I'm like, hey, why don't you guys go put your flight suits on? And they're staring at me like, what? Yeah. What are you, t- what are you talking about? I'm like, go put your f- flight suits on, and then come back to the talk and let me know when you're ready to go. And Chad looks at me, and he's starting to get angry, and he looks down at himself, and he's like, oh, roger that. Yeah. You know, it was when they shut us down, and did a relief of place. And I was pretty angry about it because our, our saw guys came in, but it was the right call because I was emotionally attached to the whole thing. Um, when the fast and fierce thing broke. Mm. So now we're dealing with this political yeah. nightmare while we're still trying to hunt these other guys down. And plus I'm dealing with the loss of one of my own guys. So you want to talk about resiliency, which yeah. I'm bringing up in my class. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it was tough, man. It was tough. And they shut us down for two weeks. We couldn't do a single op for two weeks. Oh. That is the worst thing oh. you can do for guys. They just want to get back into the fight. Yeah. They want to get, they want to be busy. Right. So I spent another year plus just trying to keep them so focused on the job. Yeah. And the task at hand, and we got to keep moving forward. That hey, look, it's when you do this for a living, 
it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Everybody gets clipped. Mm. Everybody's going to have a shooting or get injured or get shot or lose somebody. Do this long enough, that's what's going to happen. So, um, so I was so focused on that. I never took time for myself. So about, ah, about 2014, 15, I took a, took a nosedive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, but yeah, talk about resiliency, you know. I think, and, and what, what we see in this job is we have the, uh, the drive, the passion, the, the duty to joyfully go into these situations and um, take care of those problems because that's our calling. Um, but time and time again, it's decisions that are so out of our control that squash that, that push it down, that doesn't like it uh, because of the political ramifications of basically their ass. And that's what's so frustrating. And, and that's what, you know, leads to a spiral such as yours of at the end of the day, you can't do shit about it. And that's what's so hard about it is if there's a bad guy, we can fight that. If there is an issue of, Hey, we need to be able to do this route. This is what we want to go. We'll figure that out. But there's just some shit we can't do because of we can't go fucking fight the bosses without getting in trouble. And, and that's where we're problem solvers. And we can't solve those problems. So, so therefore, man, it eats at you. I yep. mean, it, it eats what, at you a lot. What was their reasoning for shutting you guys down for two weeks? Because, like, for us, I mean, we're all kind of like-minded. And I know we are, uh, Sean. It's like, to us, that's kind of our therapy is getting back into it, doing the doing the righteous thing, doing the good thing. You know, taking the fight. Look, this was a first boar attacker that was killed in a gunfight. And because of the political, you know, light that was shed on it, it was a big deal. Yeah. You know, um, I can't answer it fully of exactly why we questioned it. You know what I mean? But that, like, even to this day, some of those days, I, my memories like all over the place. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't sleeping much, you know. And, yeah. and plus, we still had to go back to Detroit to to bury Brian, and you know, and you know, and I'm fortunate for like because uh, on the federal side, they become very close lip about murder investigations. Because when one of our guys mm. get killed, the FBI comes in and does the investigation. Mm. So they don't release anything to the family at all. Oh. So, which creates a whole totally different dynamic. Yeah. And because we're tight knit unit, we're, we're all family. The families are our families. Yeah. And you're trying to help the family heal. And then they, you, there's like an element of this distress. Like, are you guys lying to us? You know? Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of, we were dealing with back then. Did some yeah. of this. So I mean, God has been, you said what, 12 years now, right? Yeah. So has has some of that process changed? Some of that, some of that, you know, handling that if that you know if that ever happens again, has it changed, or is it still going to be the same battle? Uh, it's always going to be the same battle. It's the federal government. Yeah, you know, administrations change and yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, you know, and it, and the hardest thing for us is we because of 
four of those dudes escaped into Mexico and they went into Sinaloa. Mm. And if you know Sinaloa, it's a very remote region that is protected by, yep. you know, Chapa Guzman and his boys. The Sinaloa cartel is very, very tight knit. Um, so it took us a long time. Laco, the last guy that we finally hooked up, um, was in 2017. And I had the honor cause I just got promoted and I was working in our, in our joint operation center and I got to see the ISR feed, oh. uh, the Mexican can't say what, you know, was, but their special operations unit, you know, take them off. And then he got extradited and, oh, you good. know, and board hackers got to escort him back, you know, off the aircraft. Yeah. So th- that I thought was going to close the book, <laughs> but then you got the trial. You know, we've had multiple trials. So over all these years, watching my guys have to relive that day over and over again, you know, um, it's tough, you know, and then, you know, of course the anniversary, we, we, we celebrate Brian's life, you know, but there's still just, you know, because of the politics and everything that that resonated around that incident, you know, it was a lot of us, you know, I don't want to sound Harsh, but you know, um, we're all ready to put that uh-huh. close that book. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean, and just celebrate Brian, celebrate yeah. his family, celebrate Brian's life, you know, and and you know, honor him and his sacrifice for this nation. So our last um, three podcasts, I guess, or four, three of the last four. Um, one of the things is always comes up, comes up, and uh, I think this is really uh, a good statement for what we're, what we're talking about is uh, Graham Smith. Uh, when we had a podcast with him. He said behind every badge is a family. Yep. And I look at what you're saying now and, 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 and I'm hearing blood family. Okay. His wife, his kids, mom, dad, sisters, all, all the, the blood side of the family. But the other part of that family is, the guys that you work with. Yep. And it, it's twofold. Um, and, and you see the the repercussions of the reality of this job and how it affects the family um, and how administrations can be positive or they can be a very, very negative poison to that family. And, yep. and, and that that to me is unacceptable and it's criminal and I have no tolerance for that Um, because it's not fucking political. It's not, it's someone's fucking life that was lost and there's consequences for that. Yes. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I I see where it, and, and, and I'm just like, Every one in law enforcement knows that, but not everyone in law enforcement does that because people in law enforcement had to work from the ground up. So they've been in those spots before. It's not like a, you're bringing in this hotshot college kid to come be the you know assistant deputy chief or whatever organization you're in. So he's never been boots on the ground. These fuckers have done the job and it could have been them one day and they forget that. And I think that is just, I have no place in life for you. Uh, you're as, you're as, 
you're as bad as the evil that we hunt. It's just you disguise it in being on our side. So, so when I first met you, man, you know, talking tactics and kind of seeing where you were with your with your mindset and stuff, I was like, man, this guy has a passion. Uh, passion for training, wanting to get the information out to the masses just to help people. And to me, I think your biggest passion when it comes to training is the leadership, like leadership development. Like, you know, like when you, like when I watch you teach your portion of the class that we teach out in New Mexico, when it comes into some of the leadership stuff, man, you just like, you just take it and you run. And to me, that's your passion. I was looking here at your leadership development course um, on on your webpage, you know, and, and and to me, that's like, I mean, I know you got, you know, you're like, you know, you're big into tactical games and shootings and, 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 and everything else and tactics. But I think the leadership to me is like what you're passionate about. Uh, absolutely. Um, why? Because it's I was fortunate to be in the environment I was in during my career and I've learned a lot and my leadership principles began as a young ranger. I will say this is that the ranger regiment has evolved over the last 25 years, 30 years. Um, one thing that the ranger regiment's always been really good at is developing leaders from it, from the youth. Um, and so there's a lot of principles and what I've, how I led or lead my life is all based on what I learned as a young non-commissioned officer in second range of time. I carried that over when I got into Bortac. Um, but I've learned a lot. And over time, I made so many mistakes as a leader. What you learn from those mistakes? I learned from those mistakes, but not all dudes do. Yeah. And that's the failure. And, but the other, the more pressing failure or concern for leaders is being risk averse being afraid to fall on your face and look bad in front of the fellas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it, yeah, it hurts and it tastes like crap. Yeah. Trust me. I've had a whole bunch of those. I got, I got a bag full of those, mm-hmm. but to own it and just get up and brush yourself off and, and do it better, you know? Um, because we, I held my guys in such high regard that it was, I pushed them and I'd sometimes some of my training evolutions were set up that they would fail mm-hmm. and guys would get mad about it. And I go, look, <laughs> nobody likes to lose, but I want to see how you as a team leader or you as an assistant team leader or you as the mission leader are going to handle that failure. Yeah. Are you just going to give up? I've watched some really good units when it, when all odds are against them, they will literally go, it's time to go admin. We're going to go admin reset. <laughs> Dude, you're not going to do that in real life, bro. Yeah, you have no choice. No, it's not going to happen. So how do, you, how do you adjust? And it goes back to following on what your standard operating procedures are. If you have good established standard operating procedures that you've rehearsed and you've tested them to failure, that's your tactical pause. Because you understand what the commander's intent is. Mm-hmm. So reset, drive on. Okay, fight through it. Fight through the adversity. So, and, and a, a lot of that's what I learned post Brian's death 
was I was not going to blame leadership. I was not going to blame anybody. What did we do wrong? Identify our failures. How can we fix those? Yeah. And what can we control? It's all about the circle of influence. What can we influence? Because one of the things I bring up in my, in my leadership stuff is as a leader, you have to have the ability to influence two levels above you and two levels below you. And if you don't, then you're just going to, you're going to, you're going to stagnate. And it takes, it takes time and it takes tact, takes a little professional. Sometimes it takes a little bit of maverick. You know what I mean? Of just, I'm, I'm just going to be a bull in a China (laughs) shop right now, you know, because sometimes it's effective. Just got to understand what the, what the end state is. So did some of that influence and you wanting to get the information out there, is that what drove you to start, uh, to start ironclad concepts and solutions or did you just kind of like, fuck it, wake up and I'm like, uh, I'm just going to start training today. No, I have a passion for doing this. I, I you, every time when you and I talk, uh, anytime I get around SWAT guys, I have a passion for this job. Yeah. Um, and my wife sitting over there can <laughs> attest to that. And she's like, shh, don't say anything. I still clear my own house. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm doing dry firing. Yeah. You know, um, okay. But like in your underwear or sometimes yeah, usually right? board shorts, right? Board shorts, <laughs> board shorts, Gun and belt. Crocs. Crocs. Yeah. 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 He's the only uh, grown man I know of, but like, you know, over 40 that still wears Crocs around, but Hey, dude, don't judge me. I mean, Hey, I'm not judging. <laughs> judge um, but I, I have a passion for, for getting information out because it goes back to what I said is I was fortunate to be in a place I was at the time I was to experience everything I experienced. We've, we've tried all different clearing techniques. You know, I've had to hit multi-structure compounds. Um, I had to exercise my emergency assault plan under nods for a hostage rescue in a really bad place. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things I've been exposed to where I go, it falls back on, you know, are we, what are we doing on our, you know, with the limited time available that we have for training. Uh, you guys had a podcast not too long ago. You talked about that stuff and I'm huge on that. Oh, you actually listen to our podcast. I do. Dude, oh, wow. hey, dude, dude, he will call me or text wow. me and be like, dude, you do too. Oh, wow. All right. dude, he will call me and text me like, dude, I heard that. That's awesome. Great. Man, you should have like, you should have said this or you should have brought up this. And I'm like, shit, that's Sean. You're fucking killing me. What does he say? Man, that Brandon guy's way better than you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you have a way absolutely. sexier voice. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, that that I I think I, that's that's who the, the the people always gravitate to is the the passionate people, the guys that that want to make them them better for their team, make them better for other uh, folks. Uh, I don't get along well with people that are just half assers uh, in the SWAT world. You could be a half asser outside of the SWAT world, but when you're, if you want to do this shit, you can't half ass asset. And I don't, I don't, I don't do well with that. No, I, th- that, th- I think it was in one of your guys's podcast. I can't remember who it was you were talking to, but they said that the one thing is like, you are a professional mm-hmm. when you want to do this. And I challenge guys when I go teach all over the country. I, I ask them this, do you think the community gives a shit you want to give you only get one day or two days a month to train. Right. Why do you guys exist? We exist for the 1% scenario. 
Yeah. Whether it's saving that dude's family yeah. or saving that kid or go knocking off 12 terrorists are trying to take over the city hall. Yeah. That's why we exist. Mm-hmm. So if we're not, a, uh, if we're not approaching each training evolution, every training day with that mindset, you know, I, 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 I do laugh. I laugh at some of these conversations that we get into and I've had the same issues as a key leader of guys. I mean, we need more flat range time. Yeah. No, you don't. Mm. There's plenty of it. There is a match every Saturday. Yeah. Go hit it, man. Because the limited time I have available, we're going to work on things that validate our processes. Mm. So not saying we can't have some fun from time to time, right? but, but there's, you have to say, you know, remain focused, but, and it goes back into like CQB tactics. I hate that conversation. Absolutely loathe it. I don't even like to use the word dynamic anymore because are we talking about hostage rescue? That's a different animal. If we're talking about search warrant stuff, it, it, there's, it's based well, it on, depends on what your, search warrant your it, it capabilities yeah. from the unit yes. level all the way down to the individual, you know, uh, the structure, the, you know, the terrain, there's so many things solve the problem. Yeah. You know, why do we have to get into these arguments about this stuff? Some dudes are just so passionate about it. It's like, stop. Yeah. Cause you're missing the, you're missing the bigger, the bigger problem, the bigger issue, solve the problem. Yes. Can you frame the problem? And then that will I, that will show you what tactics and techniques you're going to apply. Yeah, that's it. And, and there's if you can't modulate speed, you can't uh, realize that basically, you know, CQB tactics is basically shifted the gears. Um, yeah, and that's what you and yeah. I always talk about. I mean, we always talk about that speed and, and, and being able to stop. Yeah when you need to and then speed back up yeah, when you like, need to. I always talk about when I teach is like clutch, brake, gas. You know, there's time to hit the clutch, brake, and gas. And sometimes you're trying to do both at the same time just to get in to get out. And then so and everything's different. So so I, I want to hit on that. So there's something that like the guys going through the team leader course or the tactical leadership course this weekend, I'm going to introduce them to you. The one you're putting on. Yeah. Okay. Is I, I've spent the last couple years – looking at tactical operations, all the different principles and everything, blah, blah, blah. So there was something that we realized years ago, back in around 2009, 2010, that we had too many principles for that, for our different operations. And when you looked at it holistically, there's a lot of principles that carry over to everything. Like I could argue that the five principles of patrolling pretty much if you're doing any type of maneuver, those apply, but that's for a, d- a different thing. But what I did realize is that it does not matter what kind of operation we're doing. There's five base principles. First one is force superiority. We have to gain and maintain relative superiority. So when we talk about throttle control, mm-hmm. right? Next one is mutual support from the buddy team level all the way up to the maneuver level. So it doesn't matter whether we're doing a barricade, a hostage rescue, search warrant, right control. We always have, plan for having mutual support. Yeah. Third one's control. We control time, space, and people. When we talk about people, it's both the adversary, criminal element, and our own organic assets. And then the next one is violence of action. And that's controlled and it's directed and it's always commensurate with the threat. Yeah. Okay. It's not intimidation like the NTOA said. So, and the last one oh, is wait, 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 wait. Uh, somebody take, go a, down that take a flip that paper over and take a note because we got to circle back to that one. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I like it. 
Sorry. Um, and the last one is uh, legality. Is the actions that we are planning to undertake, are they legally, morally, and ethically justified? Yeah. Th- those five principles apply to every single operation we do. Yeah. Now we can add stuff. So if we're doing a hostage rescue, we're going to add shock and surprise, process, you know, threats by priority, safeguarding hostages, victims. You know, I mean, there's uh, we can add principles and moral obligation. <laughs> and that too, it's like a huge. But there's teams that are like, uh, well, I mean, no, there's a separation between bad guy and hostage. Go fucking do the moral obligation. There's no one else to go do it. Go separate yourself. Go put yourself between those those uh-huh. threats. That whole thing of don't elevate the criminal's life above that of the victims or the police. Uh, it's okay. So, <laughs> hey, real fast, back to the, I'm gonna circle back to the NTA <laughs> thing because I don't want to forget this. Oh my goodness! How many people are Sorry. on that text thread of instructors out in New Mexico? Fifteen, I think so. Fifteen, 15 16, 18. 18, somewhere around there. Okay, so we have fifteen, eighteen, uh, fifteen, eighteen instructors on this text thread, and we all work for a company out in New Mexico, and we are all over the country. We got Texas, Arizona, Florida. Uh, where else am I missing? I mean, Howard County, uh, Maryland. Yep. I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, they're, these guys are literally all over the country. So when NTOA came out with their blanket statement that we've talked about already on this podcast, um, man, that phone, my phone just blew up with those guys yep. all over the country. Just, I mean, just ripping into it. Now you had a pretty good, <laughs> a pretty good little statement that you, that you released right on your, on your deal on your website or no. I didn't release it on my website. Oh, that's right. I read yeah. that. Yes. I think you shared that with yes. me. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot I, that I was I sent you. it to you. You sent it to me. Yeah. Okay, so are we not going to release that? Are you going to release it? Do you want to talk about I, it? I, I think you need to, but I, I read that. Okay, so someone so someone <laughs> over here to your left is like thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, and I'm not sure exactly what that means. I don't know if she's like. That's yes, your, that's uh, your sign uh, to do things. Or okay, so you, okay, so you sent it to me, and then I shared it with Brandon. Right. He's okay, just me. because you know he's my boy, and we're about to do that podcast. Yeah. You know, and I think I told you about that. Right. Um, so, all right, the the mic is yours. I think what happened with that one is that the NTOA, in my opinion, and this is Sean's opinion. It's not the opinion of Ironclad Concepts and Solutions. This is Sean's opinion. <laughs> or is the that, opinion of the TTPOA. <laughs> <laughs> or the TTPOA is that uh, it was a breach of trust. So I, I'll explain it this way: as a federal entity, we never had to follow any into you know national or right. state tactical organizations. But as a show of good faith, a lot of things we did were in accordance with mm-hmm. NTOA stuff. Um, then they started taking too deep a dives into tactics discussions and stuff like that. So we kind of steered away, but this one right here to me, it was a complete breach of trust because they are not looking at, they're looking at it from a, a, a prism and the data that they have, they don't, they don't look at it from a different side. I want to ask a question is how many shootings have occurred with SWAT teams on breach and holds and contain and call outs? Uh, well, I don't know a lot. Okay. A lot's the answer. Right. So my point with that whole thing and, and my response to all that is that if I'm not even getting into the whole tactical science stuff, I, I like, I like Sid heel. He, he's a smart, smart dude, but I, I don't agree with him on all facets. 
but this whole tactical science thing, I don't know what that means. But when they use language like violence of actions is intimidation, yes. you're doing everybody a disservice. Yeah. And me coming from a federal side, I've probably served my career probably over 500, if not more, search warrants. I think maybe a dozen of those were no-knock exceptions. It's really hard for us to get them. Mm-hmm. So when you say that, it's like the, you, you're forgetting what the purpose is of the SWAT teams. How about challenging our leadership to do their due diligence? Yeah, yeah. To, pro- to solve the problem. But when you come out and say something like that, it puts everybody on notice. And I think it's a disservice. It's a breach of trust. Well, no, well, I, like, I, well I, like what I we talked about was it's a blanket statement and you can't blanket the entire tactical community that way, right? My team is different than a team, I don't know, in the middle of the desert in Arizona or wherever. I mean, like, you know, we have different operational tempo. We have we have different skills, training, abilities. And teams in bigger cities have different skills, training, ability than, than my team. I mean, it's just kind of, it's what it is, right? And again, we talked about this on, the, on, on that podcast that yeah. your senior leadership on that team, look at the operation. What's, what is it? Look at my team, and you even said it. What's my team's ability all the way down to the individual operator? What's their ability and their skill set? If we don't meet that that operational tempo or speed or, you know, like our guys don't meet that operation, then we shouldn't be running it as a no-knock or whatever. You know right. what I'm saying? And the, and the thing is, is once again, there's multi-layers to any issue, mm-hmm. and especially this one. So when you say no knocks are bad. We don't agree with them. Well, what is it? Is it, you don't like the entry speed? I mean, there, there was no, there was no definition. And just because you have a no knock doesn't mean that you have to just make entry right when it happens. You could blow the front door. You could port and cover two windows and then do a call out. But it's, it's a no quote, no knock because of the judge allowed that based on the, history of the person that Correct. they're going after. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're just going to go right in the front door or whatever door you choose to. There's other things, but they never address that. I'm like, no. that's irresponsible. It is. It's absolutely irresponsible. And they're just assuming, you know, and we know what that gets us. Yeah. Um, it's, it, look, it's, it's unfortunate. And, you know, the gentleman that you had on your podcast talking about this, the guy from Dallas, right? Yeah. Excellent job. He, he brought up the, the part about, you know, I formalize it into a process, but we call it problem framing. But you list all your 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 nuances, knowns, unknowns, assumptions, most likely, most dangerous course of action on, on the criminal element. You know, what resource shortfalls you have? What are your specified and implied tasks? And you fill all this out and you start working all your what ifs. That's going to give you the answer. Mm-hmm. If I have to do a knock and announce, and he brought it up perfectly, is like, hey, I don't think I want to hit that place at 6 a.m. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like for us, it's 6 to, to 2200. Yeah. That's the window. That's yeah. the, that, well, so, that's the that government warrant stuff. Right. I mean, that's, but that's, that's but you can look at it and go, I don't have to hit it at 6 a.m. because I'm going to have all these other friction points. Yep. So maybe I will take the risk that the risk for me that I'm going to assume of the guy being awake, okay, I have all these other tools I can leverage yeah. to mitigate that risk. So this is what we're going to do because 
we're going to put ourselves at a little bit higher risk so we don't bring the rest of the public into yeah. a siege. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so uh, so it's it's embarrassing. It's unprofessional when the NTOA just assumes mm. that we all just go, mm. hey, everything's a no-knock, and you're going to go just breach and go. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, I take it. Kill, I think play, beat hey, that dead horse. Hey, so no. I take it. Ironclad uh, Concept and Solutions will not be teaching leadership classes at the uh, N2A conference uh, this year. <laughs> but you know what? That's the thing is that I always welcome a different perspective. I love to have conversations. But what's with people. but what's amazing to me is and back to this. I'm sorry. This thing just drives me fucking nuts. Yeah. The N2A thing. We have instructors from all the country. And we all are saying the same thing, but a little bit differently. And everybody that I have talked to has agreed that this thing was just irresponsible for those guys to put out. Yeah. Right. Oh, for I, sure. For I, sure. I, I just, I, I just don't get it. And I, I, I just want to know, like, is there anybody that truly buys into it a hundred percent and goes, that's, that's fucking right on exactly right. Yeah. And, chiefs, and, because it takes more responsibility. Well, because they them. really don't know. No, they right? don't. And, they don't and, know. And our, our haters, that's who, the ammunition just they just yeah. they just stockpiled more ammo in their little fuck tartary of lies and and twisting the truth. Now they have, oh look at this this the national organization. My gosh, y'all did this. Y'all went against what your own organization's saying. It's already happening. Yeah. There's teams that yeah. have already been told they will no longer do no knocks because of that release. But because of retired guys that are making policies for men and that are doing the fucking job right now. But you know, it's it, it, it's sad because the teams that are doing that, that we see out in New Mexico, when it comes to some of the final operations that we have to do, the training scenarios, when it's like an HR and they're having to move fast, make decisions and and and, and move with the, you know, like deliberate action, they can't do it. No. They can't do it. And it's embarrassing. Yeah. And it's scary. It's scary. You know, right, right now I would, I'd be hard pressed to find another team in the nation right now that's as busy as Dallas is serving warrants. Uh, they are, man, I know a lot of those guys over there. They are rocking and rolling because they have a, they have a chief in there that's like, hey, man, we're going to fight crime. We're actually not going to say we're crime fighting, but we're going we're gonna to post it on Twitter. Don't sell drugs in Dallas. Don't do this. Those guys, their tempo does not stop. And they're doing it. In a very uh, tactical, aggressive way, which is really good. And yep. all right, so know. Iron Class uh, Concepts and Solutions, correct? How did you start that? Why? Um, I actually stood it up for uh, my boys. Um, so I know what you're talking about. Yes, but explain. So uh, I have my entire family. Um, I've been fortunate. God's blessed us with good genes. Mainly from my wife. Dude, yeah, that's totally her <laughs> yeah, over there. That is totally her. Yeah, she, has, she has the better hair. So I have uh, my oldest son is a special operations medic, um, served in the Ranger Regiment for uh, six years. Now he does contract work uh, over in the Philippines and other places, um, still doing his special operations medic stuff. My second son is still currently serving um, in special operations. My third son was uh, in the Air Force as a TAC-P before he got injured and medically retired. He's actually, looks like he's going to get hired by Galveston. Oh, really? PD. Oh, good. Wants to get on their SWAT team. Oh, good. So, and then uh, our youngest boy plays baseball for Sam Houston State. Yeah, and my catch. daughter 
who's a freshman at college and she wants to be a secret, super secret uh, counterintelligence agent for the FBI or mm. other three letter agencies. <laughs> That's what she's studying. Wow. Good for her. Yeah. She's, uh, she's how many kids? I lost count. Is that five. Five? Like, okay. Five uh, kids. Six carry the one divided yeah. by three. I was like, damn, man, I lost yeah. track. <laughs> wow. Dude, I, was like, I was gone a with, lot. Hey. <laughs> but, hey, but you came uh, home every now and then. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> came home. Yep. Baby. Came home. Baby. Hey, so uh, I would hate to be the dude that like dates your daughter yeah. with all of Man. the yeah. special operation brothers. Oh, trust me. Are you fucking kidding me? No, that's why she's, she still has not dated a guy no. at all. I would be like, and it's, scared and it's not man. because of that. It's just, she yeah, it has is. such high standards. Right. That's good. It, it is good, but no, but uh, back to your original question, but I stood up ironclad um, for my boys to help me out. Um, and also for an avenue because my, my era of guys from Portac, they're all starting to just now retire. So for us to have a platform to, to continue and, and spread our experiences, um, and our knowledge, um, and, and also for my boys to take it over like, uh, Jonah, my number two, he's what, three more years, four more years, he'll be out. Um, so so are you just going to retire and, and, and hang it up for good and pass it on or what? Who, me? Yeah, you. Uh, no, I'll still do the leadership stuff, but in terms of, like, Jonah's a, he's a really, really good shooter and those tactics. So tactics and yeah. shooting and all that. Um, yeah. uh, you know, Cameron, he's he's the med guy. So he's, um, but he's so busy right now doing what he's doing, but it's, we're still trying to figure that out on the med side. Um because there's a lot that comes with that package, mm-hmm. but I will hands down say when it comes to mass cast stuff, um, my boy and his crew, they put on a really good course for, for cops and firefighters, man. It's really, it's off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason being is because he lived through it. He got blown up in Kabul mm-hmm. in 2017. Oh, wow. So, and had to go treat a bunch of on that, uh, was that 4,000 pound V bid that went off in, outside the embassy. Mm-hmm. So, so what's your, what, what, so did you got courses on here, bro? You've got friggin' uh, CQB leadership development, small unit tactics, yeah, patrol and uh, patrol, uh, sorry, pistol and rifle application, patrol for tactical custom courses. What is your, I mean, to me, I think your go-to is like the leadership. Is, is, is that like yeah, your favorite the, thing? The leadership you- and the CQB stuff right now. Um, because, uh, like on our CQB stuff is I bring out, you know, heavy hitters from across the nation, um, to help me out with that. Um, so, um, cause we have both the, just, we teach a three day block yeah. and we, we show them a, a bunch of different looks. We don't say, we don't, we don't teach a system where it's all principle based. Um, we give them a, a bunch of different looks and have them go back to their, you know, and figure it out for themselves at that point on what they're going to take and what they're going to, you know, which is like the smart thing to yeah. do, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Is he, you teach them the principles and so keep everything principle based. And then, you know, the fundamentals, and then you can show them a bunch of different looks and they'll figure it out for themselves, you know, what's going to work for their team and their environment, operational environment. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it's been cool being where I'm at because I've been able to hit everything from a single wide trailer to a, you know, thousand acre ranch with six buildings on it. You know what I mean? Um, to, uh, you know, commercial facilities in, in Phoenix. So I've, I've seen a bunch of different looks. 
So, you know, um, we don't teach system, teach principle-based stuff. Now, uh, last time I was in uh, New Mexico talking to Chachi, did you guys do an HR class up in uh, Wisconsin? We getting, getting ready to getting for, ready for, for uh, up in Detroit. Oh, Detroit, yeah. Where, yeah. Wisconsin, whatever. I just pulled it out of my <laughs> ass. Wisconsin's not even close. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I knew it was Sorry. up there. So, up all right, there. so when's that coming up? Is that coming up in... Uh, no, it's supposed to be uh, two weeks from now, but they just pushed it back to September because they want to do a full week instead of a four-day. Good. And they just want to do their team only because they have a bunch of young guys. So I guess they have a bunch of team leaders, like three team leaders retiring. Mm-hmm. So they want us to come in and teach them a full week at a at a better facility so we can give them looks in movie theaters, buses, uh, commercial and single family, and then uh, do some vehicle stuff. Nice. So so the guys in your class uh, at the conference, what are they in store for? Like what in, in your leadership block you're teaching here, it's a, it's an eight-hour course, right? Yeah, it'll be uh, depending. It's, it's like 30-something people it's, in it's class six, too. So. It's, it's six hours if they don't ask any questions. You know what I mean? <laughs> I leave some room because you know me. Sometimes I will like chase my own rabbit down the hole. Yeah, yeah. If um, you ever, yeah. So um, if you if you just imagine like a clean whiteboard when class starts, and then when the class is over with, you can't even see the whiteboard anymore. There's so much ink <laughs> on there, and there's like diagrams and oh, arrows and circles that circle back to another. And just watching him do this, I'm like, and acronyms. I'm yeah, oh yeah, acronyms out the ass. Like this is our uh, CBD uh, three four nine or five or three. You're like, what the hell did he just say? Yeah, I try to make up a new acronym for every class. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, it's um, it's going to be a lot of information. I, I cover doctrinally leadership attributes and competencies. We cover them real quick because I think they're always re- important to reinforce those. And then I talk about um, the what we call the ironclad leadership pillars. So it's taking things that I've kind of, you know, navigated me as a leader uh, over time. Um, so I, I present those, and we go into a big thing on on operational leadership. Okay, um, and we take a deep dive into that. We start talking about concepts, principles. Um, and then if we navigate from there into the training cycle, how we're going to develop our personnel, you know, some, some tips and uh, some constants I see out there yeah. and some recommendations for the guys. Um, and then also things we've talked about too in the past about training as a team, you know what I mean? In terms of understand why you exist. And if it does not matter if you have one day available or two days, maximize that time available. Yeah. So look at your mission essential task. And the guys have to be honest with themselves too. Is like, it blows my mind because a lot of guys don't know this stat. 80% of the teams across the nation have 20 or less dudes on their team. Mm-hmm. And those same teams probably, you know, conduct 12 or less operations per year. Yeah. So figure out what you're going to do. Yeah. And be really good at it. You know, I, I, for the first time, I ran into some guys not too long ago that said they will not do hostage rescue right now. They will lean on the FBI. HRT is just not too far from them. I'm like, smart move. Yeah. It's actually quite smart because it allows your small element to focus on these critical mission essential tasks. Yeah. It'd be really good at those. Yeah, because they recognize their their limitations, and, yep. which is good. Because the three of us can can admit this. It's like when I hear a 10-man team does hostage rescue, I'm like, what? Yeah. That is literally impossible unless I'm hitting a one-bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
or it's just a hasty. Yeah. Yeah. You oh, know? that's different. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean but it's as, just like, hey, we got to go. But other than that, well, there's teams that I know that they're um, four man guys for warrants. I'm like, four guys? Yeah, that's all we got. I'm like, four. Okay, man. Like, that's like just two rooms, dude. Like, y'all motherfuckers two better rooms. be really smooth. That's, that's, <laughs> that's two rooms with no problems. Yeah. But see, uh, Brandon, you know what I'm getting with this one. It's because the adversary has not exercised their vote yet. Yeah. No, you're right. And that's the problem that these guys have is they live by this moniker. But the adversary, the criminal element, has not exercised their vote yet. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I don't care how good you are, man. The, the, the day that happens, it, it changes you. It changes you, uh, yep. whether it happened to you just as an individual or you, to your element. It changes you. Yeah. Because you don't look at the world the same way. You don't look at the way you train the same way or how you approach problems. It's never the same. And that's a good thing uh, because that's that experience of, man, I've, I've been in a test of, and I know now what that's like. I've, I've had so many pretests, and now this test day came, and we, we did well, or we did well, but you know what? There are some things that we need to go back and reevaluate. There are some things that we need to maybe change up. Not that they were bad. It's just, you know what? What we thought was going to work didn't. Uh, what we thought wouldn't work actually did work. We're like, wow. And sometimes fucking luck is just sometimes happens as well. That helps the success. Not that you plan on luck, but just sometimes things happen. Uh, you know, the guy's gun didn't go off or, wh- or whatever the case may be. But you have to be able to take those experiences. And I think it, it changes officers when they've been in, in those situations. For the better. That happened to my boy, Will Robinson. Shout out to Will. Mm-hmm. Dude, AK champed up, was rusted, shut. And it ambushed him, almost shot him in the face. Yeah. That yeah. was crazy. And one of those moments we let our canine handler get away from us. Yeah. Uh, and worst case scenario, but like you said, you know, you never plan on luck, but sometimes it you'll take it. You know, and that day, <laughs> Will, we took it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if guys want to get a hold of you and uh, register for a course or get you to come out, what's the best way? You can go to our website, uh, ironclad-cs.com, or you can go to our Instagram page, which totally rocks, by the way. Does it? No, not really. I'm not much of a <laughs> social media guy. If it wasn't for my wife, it would so, be hey, horrible. Hey, hey, so funny story about, the, uh, about your webpage. Uh, we were in the Train the Trainer course, and I was literally sitting behind you, we're in, a, we're in a week-long train-the-trainer course, and all Sean did for the entire week was work on his fucking website. <laughs> true. <laughs> well, I mean. We're sitting, like, in a fucking sta- like in a stadium seating, like, auditorium, and I'm just kind of, like, looking over at Sean, and he's, like, his head's dropping, and I see him shaking his head and, like, rubbing his head, and, like, he's down there working on that fucking website. <laughs> hey, man, he's, he, that was train-the-trainer to him. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, awesome. when I, was, I, had, I had the tactical games coming up too. Oh yeah, like you're yeah you're big. Yeah, you're big into that uh, shit. Now, hey, you did something. You you finished pretty high, right? Uh, I mean, no, I wouldn't say high, well, dude. I was I I I finished high where I wanted to be. Oh, I didn't know you so, you competed in the, in the tactical. Yeah, games. so um, oh but, dude, dude, he's a fucking beast when it comes to working out really? dude i'm telling you right now uh, I've, I've i've tried like two times to work out with him and i'm like fuck this dumb shit 
I'm out of here. Dude, that was... That what was division hot. do you compete in? Uh, so I was just doing the uh, the intermediate mm-hmm. where I was, I was um, doing or was competing with one of my sons. But my goal was to get back, to get into the master's division. Mm-hmm. So um, at the national championships, I was comparing where I was at. And if I would have finished, if I would have competed in the men's master's division, I would have finished in the top five. Oh, good. So that's that's kind of my goal. Um, 20, 2022, I was talking about it, about me competing and at least getting a, a podium finish. Wow. But work has gotten in the way. Yeah. So see we'll see. How. But wait I'm, I'm going to try to do at least one. Are you calling your wife work? No. Because she, like you keep looking over your shoulder towards her. She doesn't her. want me to compete anymore. What? She hates it. <laughs> Why? My wife like, hates it too. Yeah, Cuz my body's broken. Yep. Well, dude, we are, all of our bodies are broken, yeah. but we yeah. still can't give it up. No. Nope. Yeah. You got to die living, man. Yeah. So, oh but, my god. But yeah, it's but or they can uh, find us on uh Instagram, uh ironclad_cs. So what we got to do too yeah, is am I we, following the wrong one then? Cuz uh We got to get you out to uh some of our regions. It's ironclad underscore CS. That's the wrong one. That is not it. I don't know who that dude is. There's some posers out there, man. Yeah, there is. Oh, shit, man. Wait. That's not good. Dude, we had the same problem with who else? You were Uh, following Chris Triarch. Yeah, you're following, dude. Jesus. That's that's bad. Hey, um, I know that's not uh, your company, uh, but uh, I've been out to that training uh, in New Mexico that that, uh, y'all are part of. I think more guys need to do that. So well, so we're actually going to get one of the owners of the company on uh, here uh, coming up pretty yeah, soon. John, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. So just tell them how they go out. And so hey, if right you now. want to um, uh, get a part of that, okay. now it's New Mexico me. Tech. Okay. Yep, yep. And it's first responder training. Uh, just follow the links on yep. uh, New Mexico Tech. And if you're SWAT guys, you want to get the courses in Plyus, yes, not the courses in Socorro. No the tactical response to yep. suicide bombing incidents. That's the course you want to do. Yes, and that's for SWAT guys. And you got to send at least. Uh, I think the rule is at least six six dudes. Yep. Yeah, so you guys send at least uh, six SWAT operators from your team. Uh, if you can't send the whole team, send the whole team. If you can't send my cover free. for me, it is free, free. all free. free. And like free. I said, we do free. have one of the owners of that company coming up um, in a podcast here pretty soon, and, uh, and he will he will tell you all about you've it. Ever seen. Yeah, those things are huge. It's called the fucking nuclear testing done out there, dude. That, that's a bad. If you've never been, that was man, that was awesome, awesome, awesome time. Hey, so ask the question about the motto. Oh, okay. So for season two, uh, we're doing a question. So it's based on our um, our motto of TTPOA is train hard. So what does it mean to train hard uh, for you? What's that mean to you? Push everything to failure. Test everything to failure. Push beyond your limitations. You know, and that's – there's a common – thread with all of the top SWAT teams or top military special operations unit. And it's the ability to not do status quo, to push beyond your, what you think you're capable of doing, even as a unit is push everything to failure, you know, and I know this has been said a whole bunch of times, train to the standard, not to the time. Yeah. And honestly, that's what training hard means. Yeah. That it doesn't matter that's hour number 12, it's pouring out rain. If we have not done this efficiently and demonstrated perfic- you know, proficiency at this task, reset. Yeah. Let's do it again. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> but if you want to do this job, every day sucks. That's because, true. I mean, quite honestly, 
we can pound our chest about the super awesome things that we've been a part of, but all the times that we talk about the most and we cherish the most are the shitty times. Yeah. The shitty operations sitting in the van and 110 degree heat. You have to have it shut off because there's counter walking all over the place and you're just dying. Dudes pissing in the bottles, dudes. It's miserable. Back hurts. And <laughs> yep. yeah. And so it's, or, Someone's you know, gas and, <laughs> you know, or day number 11 on a surveillance mission in the middle of the mountains on the Mexico border. Okay. And I haven't done that freezing. One. And yeah, I haven't done yeah, it's, it's, you know, it takes, no one says it best. Sometimes you gotta be hard, Fuck or you yeah. gotta live hard to be live hard. hard to be I love hard. that. I love yep. that. Yep. I, I, I love that saying because it yep. just it really challenges you. And I've had uh, I've had guys. I I use that quote now when when I do like basic SWAT and things like that. And I've had a few guys DM me like, "Hey man, it's fucking four thirty in the morning. I woke up today, and I thought about what you said, and I fucking went and worked out. I was like, good for you. Um, sorry, I didn't do that today, but you know, good for you. <laughs> When's the last time you fucking worked out? <laughs> Yesterday." <laughs> Yesterday, man. Yesterday. Well, Sean, man, I just want to say, um, one, it's a pleasure meeting you a couple years ago. And, man, I hope we can keep, you know, our friendship alive, you know, throughout the years. Um, thank you for, you know, taking time out of your day in the conference to come up here and talk to us. Right. Uh, and I hope that we can grow a relationship with you and Ironclad uh, Concept and Solutions. And hopefully we can get you guys into uh, TTPOA and push you out all over all over the state, man. That'd be awesome. I appreciate it. Um, I'm grateful you guys gave us the time and, and talk about, uh, you know, what we do and how we do it. And most of all, share our experiences. And yeah, I'm blessed awesome. to have an amazing wife. That's awesome. An amazing family that's supported me through all these years. So I wouldn't be here if it wasn't Even for Even though she doesn't support you in the tactical games? <laughs> she does support me. She's out there cheering for me. But she, I'm she kidding. I'm kidding. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want me to do it anymore. So, no, probably, hey, you know what? Like every dude, I guarantee he comes home. He's beat up. He's oh, tired. Oh, he's sore. Oh, he's crying. Can't get out of bed. He needs you to help him. Rub him. Ice him. All that. Right. Yep. You see him limping. You're like, yeah, I know. She takes care of me. And there's no sympathy anymore. Like your you. dumbass did it to yourself. Like and she says that too. Like there's no sympathy. I'm like, no. yeah, you're true. I'm just glad we finally met our first listener. That's it. Oh, dude, he. I'm awesome. telling you, man. He. he you're the only listener that I know, man. <laughs> well, hey, hey, here's why he listens. Okay, instead of like being a normal human and uh, flying from here out to New Mexico or drives. whatever it is, he drives like that ten hour trip or whatever it is. So he's probably bored as hell. He's like, "Well, fuck! I might as well just listen to this jackass." <laughs> Keeps me awake. I can make fun of these idiots. No, absolutely not. It's because your content is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome, Sean. Thank you again, man. It's a pleasure. Yes. And sure. hey, you guys stay safe and train hard. Train hard.